Welcome to HSBC Talks Business, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening, and now on to today's show. Hello and welcome. Today, Marine de Baselea, Group Advisor on Natural Capital at HSBC, and Mathieu Morin, CEO of Iceberg Data Lab, are here to talk about biodiversity and nature-related financial disclosures. Today, we want to focus on biodiversity, a theme that is gaming in significance for companies and financial institutions. Marine and Mathieu, thank you for joining me today. I'd like to start with you, Mathieu. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your company? Thank you, Catherine. Pleased to be there as well and, and to discuss uh, with you and uh, Marine. So I'm the CEO and co-founder of Iceberg Data Lab, which is a fintech providing uh, ESG data solution to financial uh, institutions. So what it means is that we developed a set of indicators which allow financial institutions to integrate into their decision-making process, investment decision, for instance, environmental constraints, uh, and especially uh, environmental constraints related to uh, the climate, to biodiversity, green share, and so on. And for instance, when it comes to, to biodiversity, it, it is to be capable of quantifying and providing a quantifying response to the following question. I decide to invest or not into that company. What is the impact that company has on nature, which will depend on the process, the purchase, the product sold by that company? Thank you, Mathieu. And now, Maureen, let's come to you. How do you and Mathieu now know each other? Thank you for organizing this podcast. Uh, so Mathieu and I have known each other for a couple of years now. Both of us uh, have been working for a long time in the sustainability and climate space for financial institutions, and now both working on biodiversity and the role of data, which is important for us because of the requirements around public disclosures on nature and biodiversity, and obviously the systemic risk it poses for financial institutions. And how does HSBC define biodiversity and what is natural capital? Thank you, Catherine. Actually, it's a very important question. What are we talking about? Um, there's a lot of terms, a few overlaps, but are also quite specific. And it's important to understand uh, what is at stake there. So first, nature, it's quite easy. It refers to land, to ocean, freshwater, and atmosphere. And when you hear atmosphere, you already think about climate. It's not only climate, it's also pollution. Biodiversity is what enables the ecosystem services delivered by nature to be productive, resilient, and adaptable. And natural capital refers to the world's supply of nature-related assets. So the stock actually think of food, water, shelter, trees, etc. Well, that capital gives the rise to ecosystem services. In other way, the flows of benefits to people in the economy. Think about crop pollination, think about water purification or others. And actually the value of those benefits to the economy are estimated to be worth 125, 140 trillion US dollars per year 
by the OECD. Thing is that uh, you know very well that value does not mean price, and most of the value that are incurred by those ecosystem services is not price in economic models, and that actually explains why we are now seeing a um, collapse of biodiversity, and actually that is what is causing a systemic risk for the global economy and for financial institutions too. Thank you very much, Maureen. And in regard of you, Mathieu, what is your view of biodiversity and uh, the discussion or the, the input that Maureen currently gave to us? Thank you, Catherine. Uh, Marine uh, reminded uh, us uh, what is at stake and the sheer issue in terms of uh, impact uh, of ecosystem services uh, for us uh, from an economical standpoint if uh, their availability is uh, jeopardized and, and their availability is and, and will continue to be jeopardized by the loss of biodiversity which enable and provide uh, such ecosystem services. So my view is actually quite uh, straightforward. You only have two thematics in the world which are uh, uh, covered and steered by CDBs, by COPs, meaning gathering of all uh, head of states once a year uh, to make sure that uh, the issue is uh, being managed and being fixed, which means that the stakes are one, global, and, and second, very material, requiring the full mobilization at the highest decision-making level in our uh, political uh, fabric. That's climate and that's biodiversity. So it means that beyond the impact that we may expect on the economy, which will result from the regulatory decision taken by COPS, and looking backward, you can already see how the power sector globally has been deeply changed, especially in Europe, uh, as a result of the COP uh, decision on climate uh, regulation and uh, carbon emissions allowance, carbon tax price, and so on. And, and you may expect exactly the same uh, kind of, of uh, movement and regulatory decision resulting from the COP on biodiversity on different issues, some parallel, such as uh, deforestation, some uh, not directly related to climate, uh, related to uh, land, uh, land artificialization or uh, fertilizer, pesticides, plastics ending into the ocean, and so on and so on. Uh, regulatory pressure, which are largely ahead of us. And therefore, as a responsible investor, you can simply speaking, uh, not factoring that kind of issues, which will nevertheless deeply impact the economics of many, many, many sectors which have a, a direct impact uh, or which rely on uh, biodiversity. Thank you very much, Mathieu. So coming back to the to the risk aspect. So um, do you see that the risk that is obviously arising from biodiversity loss is already seen within world's economies. So Marine, any view in regard of this? Uh, oh yes, it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, um, maybe if I can give a concrete example of how we uh, at HSBC have already measured uh, the uh, concrete impact, the material impact of a, a nature-related risk on our portfolio. We, we have 
actually conducted along with the Cambridge Institute on Sustainability Leadership, a use case to precisely measure the risk of a nature-related event to our own portfolio. And the scenario was actually developed by CISL, and it consisted in a stress simulation on a sample of heavy industry companies based in Asia to assess the potential impact on credit risk of a water curtailment due to a conflict in usage, meaning uh, um, agricultural expansion, uh, uh, urbanization, etc. Actually, the, um, uh, that scenario uh, was consistent with what uh, uh, already happened in Cape Town a couple of years ago. Well, so we've run that stress test and the outcome was actually striking. The average credit risk rating of the portfolio were subject to a downgrade to a of two notches with some up to six notches. And so a third of our sample moved from investment grade to speculative, meaning that with no surprise, uh, the sample's risk-weighted assets increased by about 20% in the year immediately following the shock. So it was a very specific stress test, stress test showing absolutely striking effect. So um, we quite understand that um, we may already have incurred those losses uh, in different parts of our portfolio, but we have not tracked it or we have not linked it yet to nature-related issues. And it's what now we need to organize ourselves to do. Thank you, Maureen. So, so probably coming to, to the data um, argument. So as uh, nature-related risks are on the rise and as governments and companies become increasingly aware of what these risks are, so how is ESG data delivered, Mathieu? Is data the kind of steering wheel for upcoming disclosure requirements? Thank you, Katarina. So as far as data are concerned, there is no silver bullet allowing us to to capture what is largely a, a broad and holistic concept, which is uh, nature resilience and, uh, and biodiversity. We do, however, have enough academic materials uh, and, and scientific uh, resources, studies, and quantitative tools, such as damage functions, which, which are mathematical relationship between a source of pollution and an impact on nature to build a tool, which is a tool that we developed at Iceberg Data Lab, the, the corporate biodiversity footprint, allowing to go from what a company is doing, the impact of its processes, level of pollution, for instance, due to its supply chain and so the consumption of resources induced by the supply chain and its downstream impact, so covering the, the scope-free, upstream and downstream, so the pollution emitted or the, the resource consumption uh, due to the sales and the products sold by the company, to build a quantitative signal, which is a footprint, which is to biodiversity, what carbon footprint is to climate, and make sure, and that is obviously critical, that the hierarchy of pressures that we deliver, the merit order between sectors, between pressures, and the capacity to deliver to investors a compass, uh, allowing them to know where in their portfolio are the main source 
of risk and impact and, and dependency and opportunities related to biodiversity are in relation with what the IPBS is telling us about the main source of pressure on the living, which are the, the impact on habitat, so the change of land use, so that is uh, within the consumption of scarce resources of which land uh, and pristine land converted into agriculture, intensive agriculture use or artificialized for infrastructure or, or whatever, and the other pressures, which are the, an array of source of pollution in the atmosphere, in the water, in the soils, uh, and climate change, which is not the, the most important contributor as of today, but the fastest growing one. And as of today, a set of quantitative data that we have is consistent with that uh, hierarchy of pressure. And therefore, even if we're still at the, at the beginning of the road, when it comes to fully capture the impact on nature that companies have, we already have tools which are mature enough to start calculating that kind of footprint, to look at where the main source of, uh, of impact and pressures are from sector, company, product level, and therefore start uh, an engagement and uh, a management uh, process, which will lead corporates to be more transparent, which, is, which will foster the, the investment and development of research, and which will contribute overall to improve that track record, that experience, and uh, contribute to uh, better identify uh, and manage uh, the main source of pressure on, on nature. Thank you very much, Mathieu. So probably coming to the investment side, to um, the other side of the coin, so to say. So how is the market and overall appetite for nature and biodiversity developing? So I assume and I see that the overall investor's appetite in regard of ESG investments is growing fast. So uh, Marine, what do you think about the overall appetite for nature and biodiversity? Well, let me start by saying that it's a large opportunity actually for the private sector. Um, it's not a need, a need, it's an opportunity for each uh, dollar invested in restoring, protecting nature, the overall return is of $9. Um, and the need for uh, the financing need for biodiversity to meet the global agreements should be roughly $800 billion thing is, is that now uh, they only amount to uh, $130 billion. So it's only 15% of the need. That's the gap. And when you deep dive into that gap, you see that 85% of that finance comes from the public sector. So there is a very large opportunity. But then the financial sector is not grabbing it yet. And there's many reasons for that. But I think for the moment, the largest one is that most of the global economy has not really assessed its impact and dependency on nature yet. And uh, it's what we are seeing now. It's growing understanding of the state of nature, the role of the global economy, and the need for it to um, play back within um, uh, planetary boundaries. And, and that's what at stake. So there's an opportunity the appetite is growing. Thank you very much, Maureen. So coming 
back to the transparency um, argument and to fill the on how to fill the financing gap. So what role does transparency play in this regard? Because I remember Mathieu saying and mentioning transparency as a key driver in regard of the um, overall development of the, the market. So can you share some views in regard of this with us? Sure, absolutely. Uh, uh, transparency I mean, leads back to uh, disclosing and, and to be able to disclose, you need to be able to assess <laughs> first, uh, set yourself targets and report on that. And, and th that brings back to what I said for now, the um, uh, global economy is starting to understand the need to do so. And uh, given the complexity of uh, how nature works, the fact that um, water containment will not play the same in one part of the world or in another, in another, uh, to take only one example, uh, crop pollination will not be in the same state, one country or even uh, one parcel of um, a countryside compared to another. We need a common framework to assess that exposure to nature dependency, that impact on nature, and the, the overall uh, induced risks and opportunities. And to do so, a new task force has been created uh, a little more than a year ago. That's the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosure. It's actually copying the TCFD, the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure, and it aims to develop and deliver a risk management and disclosure framework for organizations and financial institutions to report and act on evolving nature-related risks. I mean, the, the ultimate aim is to support a shift in global financial flows away from nature-negative outcomes and toward nature-positive outcome. We believe that financial institutions, companies, and operations have nature-related risks associated with them, and the purpose of the task force is to engage with them to understand the risks and opportunities available to them and work together in developing a framework for them to determine their risks, but also identify uh, opportunity. Thank you very much, Marine. So coming to the current challenges of companies in regard of climate and environmental risks. So for companies to understand their financial implication associated with nature grows by the day. So overall, what kind of current challenges should companies be aware of, Mathieu? Do you have any views? Thank you for your question, Catherine. I, I would say that uh, first, companies uh, have to measure the impact that they have uh, on nature through an array of, uh, of different what we name pressures, which are split into two categories, consumption of scarce resources and issuance of uh, pollutants, which is uh, largely done. But Uh, that will be organized by the EU regulation making that kind of uh, reporting uh, mandatory. It will be to, to structure that and to benchmark them with one another. Uh, because um, obviously the, the absolute uh, impact uh, and the environmental liability related to that impact has to be appraised, but no companies can afford uh, anymore to be to be a laggard in its sector. And so I guess that uh, within the management dashboard, you should systematically have 
going forward, a benchmark of your impact compared to your peers, your climate impact, your carbon impact, and your impact on nature. And that's important, that's especially important if you rely uh, from a, a financing standpoint on, on capital market. So if you are in a capital intensive industry, uh, and that's especially important uh, if uh, or when, more precisely, you will have to report to your shareholders the, through your uh, environmental report and your general report, the impact that you have, because more and more asset owners and institutional uh, investors will be demanding on that one, on, on that kind of, uh, of uh, reporting and on positioning. Thank you, Mathieu. So I guess I have two questions now to, to Maureen. So globalization in, uh, in a globalized world, there are different jurisdictions in place. So is there for, for the French market a difference um, in regard to other markets? So this is my first question. And the other one will be in regard of uh, the product side. So coming back to, to the investment opportunities, are there already any products in place to limit global warming and restore landscapes? Thanks. That's quite a uh, um, two different uh, question, uh, but, but that they are interlinked. Yes, in France, the regulation is actually driving the development of uh, reporting, of um, uh, disclosure, and obviously of products. So uh, you may know that on top of the new French disclosure regulation, uh, the so-called Article 29 uh, on biodiversity, um, uh, It illustrates the urgent need for standardizing nature-related data metrics and methodologies. So French financial institutions are now required to disclose both biodiversity and climate-related risks and impact. And that, that's a new decree from the French financial regulator. But that's actually also now expected from the ECB. And, and we see uh, financial institutions really getting up to speed on how to assess nature-related risks. We need the data from the corporates. And that is a great segue to uh, uh, potential products. We have been working with Mathieu, with Iceberg Data Lab to um, uh, release um, last December um, biodiversity indices along with Euronext that are actually building on the corporate biodiversity footprint that uh, Mathieu has been developing that is differentiating not only um, uh, by sector, but also by geography and, and by uh, specificities from each corporate when available. And that actually helps investors um, start to uh, avoid adverse impact on biodiversity and to facilitate the um, uh, uptake of investors um, on that thematic. We have just released an ETF, it's HSBC Asset Management, which has launched this ETF recently, again, on the basis of that biodiversity index uh, with Iceberg Data Lab and uh, Euronext. Wow, this is really amazing. So, Mathieu, how would you standardize metrics and methodologies for biodiversity? Thank you, Catherine. So, first of all, we use a unit, which is a square kilometer in MSA, mean species abundance which is a metric developed by the Dutch Environmental Agency 30 years ago, which is to expressing biodiversity impact in a unit 
what ton of CO2 equivalent is to climate. And so if you, if when we say that the biodiversity footprint of a company is 1000 square kilometer MSA, it means that the addition of all the pressure of that company, all the pollution that the company causes, all the resources that the company consumes is equivalent to artificialize 1000 square kilometers. Basically, that is a very pedagogical way to express an impact and to compare companies against one another. This is really interesting, Mathieu. Thank you so much for your, your answer. So um, the inclusion of biodiversity in the new disclosure regulation signals a broader shift in the finance sector. Are financial participants ready for it, Maureen? That's a good question. Good question. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, are they ready for it? I, I don't know if you're ever ready to uh, real regulation. I, I think that um, we need, obviously, more data from corporates. We need more, we need more disclosure to um, be confident in the results that we're going to get. But I'm confident that corporates will disclose more in the coming years. I'm confident that the uptake of that agenda will go quicker than it went for climate because it builds on climate. Yeah, thank you very much, Maureen. And at the same time, I assume that the way um, financial institutions are able to understand uh, data and to to rely on data, this will be a question of, of time as well. So in coming to, to you, Mathieu, is there any recommendation you would give? Yes, as I said earlier, it is one of the two thematics which will be reassessed on a yearly basis by the highest decision making level which exists, which are head of state, which stress the importance of the issue and, and the importance to monitor it and a lot is expected and will be needed uh, from the financial sector going forward, uh, not only to, to curb the impact, but since we are above uh, planning boundaries on that, to restore and invest into, uh, into conservation action, into uh, land rehabilitation uh, and so on, uh, which is uh, another important angle to, to not only curb biodiversity loss, but, but restore uh, the situation uh, to, uh, to a sustainable state. Thank you so much, Bo. So um, looking ahead, um, what's next in terms of the pushing of the pushing the biodiversity agenda forward? They are key milestone. I mean, the third release of the beta framework, uh, COP27, uh, since COP26, nature has also become key to the climate agenda. So you may have noted that the GFANS has actually said that there is no net zero without halting deforestation. You see a lot of momentum around halting deforestation. So, um, and in 2023, uh, we, as I said before, the uh, first uh, TNFD framework will be released in uh, September 2023. And that's gonna be a milestone for corporates and financial institutions to uh, onboard on that agenda. Thank you so much for your insights in regard of biodiversity and natural capital. So overall, I'd like to ask you both now um, what you are doing in your own personal life to help combat climate change. Who would like to start? 
I'm working in sustainability for more than 20 years, so I would think that it's a way of life. I'm, I'm doing so much. I think uh, what, what I encourage people to do uh, now is really reduce their consumption of meat, because actually uh, cattle is the first driver of uh, um, deforestation. And so that's an easy way to uh, participate to uh, halting and reversing nature loss. Actually, I was going to say the same thing. I, personally, I switched significantly my uh, food regime, let's say, uh, because indeed, as Marie rightly uh, stressed, this is a major contributor to, to, to both thematic climate and actually uh, uh, biodiversity uh, conservation through the, the reduction in, into imported deforestation. So I think that at a personal level, it, it is probably one, one of the strongest uh, key queens, uh, which, which can be universally, at least in, in our Western countries, uh, be, uh, be adopted. I totally agree. Thank you so much both for sharing your great insights. So join us again on Navigating to Net Zero and thank you for listening. You have been listening to From Ambition to Action, Navigating to Net Zero, a HSBC podcast mini-series on how banks and industry can plot a path to net zero carbon emissions. To get more insights on sustainability, visit our sustainability hub at www.business.hsbc.uk slash ENGB sustainability hub. Thank you for joining us at HSBC Talks Business. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please do subscribe to the HSBC Talks Business channel to stay up to date with new episodes.